Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello. Hi, Nathan. How are you? Hey, Rick. How, how are, are you? you, my friend? I'm not doing too bad. I'm just sitting in front of a computer screen wondering what the hell I've done because I can't seem to get out of it. <laughs> uh, I, I, shall, I shall just leave it and uh, let somebody else sort it out. Exactly. Oh, yes, good. Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, excited to talk to you, buddy. Oh, thank you. And reciprocated, mate. Oh, right on. My uh, my older brother is a gigantic fan of yours, and uh, I was going to call him last night, but it was a little bit too late where he lives, and just ask him if there's anything he wanted to ask you, because he's probably the biggest Yes and Anderson Bruford, Wakeman and Howe fan that I've ever met before in my life. So a oh, lot wait, of this... Well, you can t- yeah, he, tell him he can get he can get medical help for this, you know. <laughs> I've tried to tell him. I think he has some medical help, but that just makes him like the music more. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, the Cape Crusader, the original Cape Crusader, I would think, Mister Wakeman. Uh, how how did the cape come about? First of all, I'm sure everybody knows you from the numerous capes you wear on stage. How did that happen? The the cape came about in 1971. And I was over in America here doing my first tour with Yes, and we were playing, you know, sort of at best third on the bill at places and fourth and fifth. And where basically, you, you you know, you just hopped on anywhere you could to play. I mean, the great thing was there were so many tours out then, and and they all had four, three or four acts on, you know, so you could always get on somewhere. And we were at Hartford, uh, Connecticut, and a couple of days before, uh, we'd actually got got a review. In a, in a paper, it actually re- reviewed us. I think we were supporting 10 years after, and it said that, yes, um, this, this this new band, yes, well, 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 okay, well, it was very nice. It said we were we were, we were really, really good and, and, and interesting and that the uh, audience really appreciated that kind of thing. And it said that it was very complimentary about me. It said that it liked my playing, which was different from uh, what... Uh, goes on normally in keyboards in bands, um, but said that with the, all the keyboards I had and the fact that um, I had pedals and things everywhere, that I looked like a demented spider. Uh, <laughs> and and, and I, I thought about this, and I thought, you know, they're right, because uh, how you had to work back then, because there were no sustains and things like that, there was nothing like what it is now. So I had I had pedals, you know, up on, on those stands and things. So, you know, I, I had to get into positions with my legs and arms. I certainly couldn't do it now, that's for sure. Uh, and I, re- I thought, I did a show after it, we did a show, and I was conscious of it. I went, yeah, it's right. And then we got to Hartford, Connecticut, where we were part of this small festival. And uh, it was being introduced all the acts were being introduced by uh, a local dj from the local station and he was on stage and uh i noticed i thought oh, he had a cape on which was like a three-quarter length cape and when he turned round, um i mean he must have weighed 220 pounds i mean he was big uh really really big and he uh and i thought wow that cape hides a multitude of things and then i thought that's my answer and he came off stage, and we'd just been paid. I had $200, $10, bills in my pocket. And I said, I don't want to buy your cape. And he said, it's not for sale. And I said, look, I've got $200. That's all I've got to my name. 
I'll give you my $200. It means I won't eat for the week, but I want to buy you a cape. And he went, oh, yeah, go on then. So I gave him the $200, took the cape, went on, and uh, it was a three-quarter length cape on him, about half length on me. And uh, so sort it of came off afterwards, and Michael Tate, who was doing our lighting and stuff for us back then, came to me and he said, you've hit on the answer. The answer is a cape, but not a half-length black cape. He said, you need a real sparkly, shiny, sequin cape that's full length that will catch all the lights and all of that, and that will really swirl and hide all your movements that you do. And I said, well, well can I get something like that? He said, I know a, a girl who, who will make them for you. And he did. He introduced me to a, a, a lady who, who made sort of four or five of the, of, of the most, I suppose, um, uh, capes that uh, people remember which I've still got uh, four of them out of all of those. And, and that's how it started, really. And, and ever since then, um, I, I can't imagine going on stage you know, with a band or you know, doing a prog rock concert uh, without wearing one. It's different when you play the piano because you cannot play the piano wearing one because they are so heavy. They hang over your arms and it's like somebody hanging weights on your arms you know, when you're playing the piano. So unfortunately, uh, they're not to be seen when I'm playing the piano. But uh, on any other concerts, I, I can't ever see myself going on without one. Well, it's uh, become your signature look, that's for sure. And I, I figured it would be so heavy with... Cause... You're one of the few people I know who can play the keyboards, you know, on either side of you where you can't look at both of them at the same time with different hands. How do you get that motion down with that heavy cape on your arms? Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's tough. Uh, I must admit, it does. Weigh, but you, you've got periods of times where, you know, you, you can actually, you know, have, have your, your arms down a bit lower because you're standing up to play. So you can, you can do that. So you, you just have to sort of plan it quite well and playing on the either side is I'm, I mean I play most of the time with my eyes closed anyway so everything's done by by feel so um because sometimes I'm terrified to open my eyes because I look down at my fingers and go what the hell are they doing <laughs> and then, and then it, <laughs> it all collapses <laughs> I, love it. I wouldn't have a, a clue either I can't play just one keyboard in front of me to think of having one on each side and not knowing what both hands are doing I don't think my brain works that well <laughs> Yeah, you get, yes, I've been doing it for for, for so long now. Um, uh, it's it sort of it sort of does come second nature. What what the the thing that took a bit of time to get you know to get into your, the brain is that it's it's a, the equivalent, I suppose, of playing two different instruments in an orchestra at the same time. Being, to, I know it's physically impossible, but saying, okay, you're going to play the clarinet, you're also going to play the violin, and you're playing totally different parts uh, that you know, that are part of the whole piece. Um, and that's what you're basically doing with the, with the keyboards a lot. Uh, that, that took a, a little bit of, of getting used, to, well, getting it into my head of what was going on and being able to be aware of, of both parts that you're you're playing. But, uh, you know, I, I've been doing it for so long now, it's sort of, um, well, hopefully it will continue to be second nature. How many keyboards do you actually have surrounding you now, like uh, on the tour that you got coming up? How many are you going to have? Uh, in your basic setup, in the Grumpy Old Rockstar tour that I'm doing now, it's the grand total of one. It's a grand <laughs> piano. Uh, there are no keyboards at all. It's just me, a grand piano, and a mic. I stripped uh, it down. 
yeah, it's just playing the piano. It's taking the music back to, you know, to as it as it was, as a lot of it was written. I do stuff of my own. I do um, stuff from other people I've worked with. Obviously, I do some yes stuff. I do some of mine. No singing, I hasten to add. I I do some David Bowie stuff, Cat Stevens stuff, some uh, um, McCartney stuff, some George Harrison stuff. All stuff that I've been involved with or have been uh, important to me over the over the years and then in between that I just tell completely stupid stories about things that have happened to me in my life <laughs> I love the completely stupid stories and I want to I want to have you share one here in just a little bit but you mentioned Bowie a lot of people I didn't know until um, maybe a week ago or so that you were on Changes Space Odyssey and a number of other Bowie things and at one point he had invited you to become one of the spiders from Mars um, and yet you had to turn that down to go with yes and then you had the comment from the guy in the paper about being a demented spider. Did that guy in the paper know that you were almost an actual spider from Mars? No, I think highly unlikely. Uh, highly unlikely. You know, I made the decision. I mean, I was I was actually asked to join Yes on the same day that David asked me to uh, be part of Spiders from Mars, which he was filming with uh, with Mick Ronson. Um, but I, I made the decision to, to go with Yes because I felt you know, I could have more of an input with the music, how it was done. I mean, it was a it was a tough decision because David was the biggest influence in my whole life musically. Uh, a, a great friend. I did a lot of stuff with him, you know, the Hunky Dory album and his first album, David Bowie album. As you mentioned, Space Oddity. I also did a couple of bits on on Ziggy Stardust, and then I did uh, Absolute Beginners in the eighties. And, and we both lived in Switzerland for a, a few years, and, and we were quite close neighbours, and we used to meet. You know, quite regularly, and put the world to rights. So he was a he was a great friend and a great influence. So it was it was a tough decision, but um, it was interesting that years later, I, uh, David and I were, were sitting in a in a little club in Switzerland called the Museum Club, and the subject came up about Spice because he was putting a new band and things together. And he said, you know, you made absolutely the right decision when you went to to go with Yes. He said, and I would have told you that was the right decision to do. Um, and he said, because anyway, he said, look, look at it this way. He said, I, I change musicians all the time. You know, I pick the musicians that I want, whatever the project is that I'm doing. And he laughed and said, so the chances are you'd be out of work now anyway. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was, uh, but it was, it was, it was great to know that um, that he thought I'd made the right decision. But um, we we remain good friends, and he and he, as I say, he was the most um, influential person. That, uh, that I ever had the pleasure of working with. He was an influential person on lots of people. You just were obviously one of the lucky ones who got to be personally friends with him and, and you know feed off of, of his creativity too, which had to be just the coolest thing in the world. It was. It was. It was brilliant. He was very generous. He, he always picked musicians that he that he understood what he uh, what he was trying to get at. And and it would give you. He never ever said like when I did Life on Mars and things. You know, he would say you you play what you want to play, treat it as a piano piece. You play play what you want to play. And, That's really uh, cool. He, yeah, he would never turn around and say, "Well, I want you to do this here and that there and this that." He, no, he let you get on with it. So your tour, you're known as a, an amazing storyteller, and that's a part of the uh, Grumpy Old Rockstar Tour where you get up there and you share some of the crazy stories. What's your favorite story, or the funniest story, I guess, uh, that you share and you've shared for years that maybe people who haven't seen you in concert yet don't know? 
Um, well, I'll, I'll give you a, a sort of a, a, a clue without telling the story away, because otherwise, you know, give it away for the for the shows. There is one where I ended up after being arrested, uh, sitting on a complete stranger's lavatory in their house. Um, it's 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 a ridiculous story, but but it's it's absolutely true. It's very funny. It's absolutely true. And there's another one about signings, uh, signing stuff, which involves. Um, um, uh, a lady's uh, underwear. Uh, there's there's lots of ridiculous stories that um, um, <clears throat> it's it's hard to uh, explain. But somebody once said to me, uh, "Nothing normal ever seems to have happened in your life," and it's and it's true. It, it, it hasn't. You know, I've you know I've had so many things happen. Uh, you know, I've I've been a, arrested in Russia during the Cold War years, and you know, which was my own fault really. Um, I stole a KGB uniform, which didn't go down very well. <laughs> uh, and I was on my way to Siberia. There was no diplomatic relations between them and London. But, you, you know, you get out of it somehow. And, uh, in fact, I go back there a lot now and, and, and play it. It's, it. it's sort of laughed about now, but it wasn't laughed about back then. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, it, my life is littered with um, unbelievably ridiculous things that have happened. It sure sounds like it, and you know that's one of those things when people think of crazy uh, backstage tour stories. You know, they'll think of bands like Van Halen and stuff. I honestly, in, in my own opinion, would have never thought Yes had crazy backstage stories. But it sounds like you were the guy that might have had some of those stories, uh, backstage parties, and, and after show madness going on. Is that true? Uh, yeah. If it, if it was, yeah, it was me in the early days, and then in later years. Uh, uh, Chris took over, um, but certainly in the early years, yes, I did. Uh, uh, there were some crazy things that that that, that happened, which, um, um, yeah, it, they just did because I, I I just like to have fun and enjoy myself and say I couldn't. I oh, I take and always have done take the music seriously, but I don't take myself seriously. And and some of uh, Yes's excesses were just ridiculous, really, um, and they they just made me laugh. Yeah, it sounds like you're a party guy. I, I, we should hang out sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. Although my days of partying, I'm afraid, are long. I mean, I um, I haven't drunk since 2005. Um, I, you know, I, the, the, I'm 70 now, and show, instead of after shows where you'd look for the nearest party or bar or things to go off and have great fun, uh, <clears throat> I now get back to the hotel, find the late night movie, and have a hot chocolate. Hey, that doesn't sound like a bad life. You know, I'm getting on in my years, too, so I, I might join you there for a hot chocolate. Early on in your career, when you actually started making some money, uh, like many British rock stars, um, the guys in Pink Floyd, you're a, a fan of cars, and you actually started a car collection and a bit of a car business at one point. How did that uh, pop up? That's true, actually. Yeah, I had a, a car rental business of sort of high-end cars. Uh, it started, I mean, I bought a um, uh, a Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud, 1957 Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud one. I bought that in 1970, what year was it? 1972. Uh, and, I, and I loved that car. Uh, but there was a, a Rolls-Royce that I always wanted, which was a, a, a Silver Cloud three, Mullina Park wall, what they called the Chinese Eye. And that was the car that I always wanted. And I found one and uh, I was going to part exchange the, uh, the Silver Cloud one that I had. 
And the guy who was buying it, he said, what did you pay for the Silver Cloud one? And I suppose that then it would have come in at about $5,000, which is a fair amount of money back then, but not much. Uh, obviously not much now. And he said, well, I'll give you $7,000 for it. I went, well, I've, I've had it less than a year. Uh, and he said, and I said, I'll make $2,000. He said, oh, absolutely. He said, but you're an idiot to sell it. He said, because they're all going up in value. And I said, well, what am I going to do with, with two Rolls Royces? He said, well, I would spray the Silver Cloud one white. He said, and then uh, rent it out as a, a wedding car. Ooh. I went, really? He said, yeah. He said, look, I said, I'll tell you, I'll do a deal with you. He said, I've got a garage. He said, I'll take it in. I'll look after it. Uh, we'll get it sprayed white. We'll split the profits down the middle and, uh, um, and see how it goes. And I went, yeah, great idea. Well, it was in such demand, this, this car. He said to me, if ever you feel like buying another one, you know, go ahead. So I bought 22 of them. <laughs> and, uh, and there was all sorts of cars I had. Uh, apart from the Rolls Royces, I had Bentleys. I had uh, uh, some Cadillac. I had a 1957 uh, Cadillac Fleetwood limo, which uh, I loved that car. Uh, which was great. I had all sorts of cars in that in that collection, and it was really successful. And then there were, then there was um, a, a a bit of a disaster where I lost them all. It's called divorce. No, oh, no. Uh, um, so I started another collection up again when I lived in Switzerland. Uh, I built up a collection, not in a car company, but just of about I don't know about a dozen cars. And uh, then I had another disaster second divorce um and then i had uh i built it up one more time uh and uh in my third marriage and i had about seven cars which i built up and then had another disaster that was called third divorce um i've been married now for a fourth time for for um, 50 17 years now we've been together uh and i've built up a car collection again and i i i have no intentions of ever getting divorced again unless she leaves me um, because uh, I want to keep my cars. <laughs> That's a great reason to stay married, to make sure you keep the cars. Absolutely. Open. Yeah. Yeah, don't 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 touch the cars. <laughs> Was there ever a car that you wanted that you've never been able to get your hands on? Um, to be honest, there's a couple of American cars that I, I love. American cars, the American cars of the fifties, I just absolutely uh, adored. Um, and there's a few American car clubs in the UK, and they go to meetings and things. And I, if I'm, I can get to them. I go to some just to just to have a look. Um, I the, the the cars that I really loved. I love Studio Acres. I loved the Golden Hawk. I thought it was a great car, and the DeSotos I really loved as well. Um, and you see them go through occasionally at, at Macon auctions and things like that, and they're around, you know, and, and they're nice. But I think at the age of seventy, if I if I turn up back at home with a with another car that I've shipped across, I think, yeah, that, that could put everything in jeopardy. You might lose the rest of the collection, huh? I do, but I, I mean, it would. But I do love them. I love. I, I thought the the nineteen fifties, certainly from sort of like fifty five. Um, onwards was just a phenomenal year of design I, I mean I thought they, they, they were all works of art I love that era of American cars 
And you seem like you're more of a, a comfortable cruiser car guy. Are there any sports cars or super fast cars that you've driven or wanted, or you just like to be comfortable and, and have style? Well, I've, I've had, you know, back in the sort of the 70s and 80s, I I, I did have Maseratis and I had a Lamborghini and I, and, uh, I had a Mach 1 Mustang with a 5.7 litre engine. That went like a rocket and made such a great sound. Um, but, you know, as you get older, you sort of, yeah, grow out of that. I mean, I've got a, I've got a, a, a Jaguar XJS convertible which I love V12, um, but uh, which is, I suppose, the closest thing to a, a, a sports car. But it's 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 pretty quick, but it's not that quick. But also, you know, the, the interesting thing is, um, my lifestyle now is completely different to what it used to be. I mean, I, I don't drink, I don't smoke. Uh, my wife and I, we don't go jet setting around the world or have expensive holidays it doesn't interest us we're very much home people we love our garden we love our pets uh and my only weakness is is cars so it's um you know she lets me indulge in that because then she can indulge heavily in the garden not a bad little trade-off there i think you're doing great and this marriage should last it's a it's a great trade-off yeah. Rick, thank you for taking the time to call us today. Can't wait to see you on the Grumpy Old Rockstar Tour. Uh, have a wonderful, a big fan, and uh, have a great day, my friend. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much, and thank your brother. <laughs> I absolutely will. I'll tell him Rick Wakeman personally said hi. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thank you, buddy. Bye.